Let's turn our Bibles this evening to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture reading tonight is centred around Hebrews 11. I'm going to read several clips, first of all from chapter 10 towards the end of chapter 10. Picking up our reading at verse 32. There we will be reading about the discouragement of the Hebrew Christians in the New Testament. Then that will be followed by reading Hebrews 11 verse 32 to the second verse of chapter 12. The text is the first two verses of chapter 12, which a sermon which I brought to, I bring tonight to grace, having had the having brought the sermon on the occasion of an adult baptism back in my home church, a joyful occasion of adult baptism. Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. This is God's inspired word. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which have great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And then what you have in chapter 11, of course, is the heroes of faith, and you have the many named heroes, named and famed heroes of faith, so-called, in the earlier verses. But we're going to focus more on the unnamed, unsung heroes of faith, beginning at verse 32, a few names there, but for the large part, we read about what they went through by faith. Hebrews 11.32, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. 
they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Then the text for the sermon this evening. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thus far we read from God's holy inspired word. May he bless the reading of his word. As announced, the text is those first two verses of chapter 12, so let's dive in right away to look at these verses. Consider then with me, run the race. Run the race. Notice with me that this is a difficult calling to begin with. Notice, however, the blessed encouragements that are given. And thirdly, our only source of strength. Run the race. Let's take a brief moment to chew on those words for a moment. Run the race. We have been called to run the race. What comes to mind when you hear those three words spoken to you? Do you not think of a runner? A young man, a young woman attired properly, perhaps in a tank top, shorts, socks, running shoes, all set and raring to go, run the race. And now focus on the word run. What comes to your mind? I can tell you what comes to my mind. Weariness, exhaustion, fatigue. Seemed like it wasn't so long ago when I enjoyed running that you mentioned the word run and I have a little burst of excitement within me. Oh, run? Let's go out and run. Yes, let's do it. But as with all of us, age catches up with us. I think now of only weariness when I hear the word run. 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 Don't stop. Run. Notice the word being used here is not stop. It's not take a break. 
It's not do nothing, sit back, relax. It's not even jog or walk, but run. Run, run, run the race. And understand here that the race is not a 100-meter sprint over in 10, 11, 12 seconds. It's not a one-mile run, five-mile run. It's really more like a marathon. And that becomes clear to us when we consider the lives of the heroes of faith set forth in Hebrews chapter 11. Their their lives and their acts and deeds of faith spanning a, a whole lifetime. You think of young Moses, young Moses who chose to side with his people, his people who were slaves, lowly slaves, rather than the honour, the riches, and the wealth of the courts of Egypt. And then you think of all the acts of, of the heroes of faith in between, of, of Abraham, of Sarah, all the way till Enoch, who was translated into heaven at the age of 365. 365 years old. We are called to run the race, and it's more like a marathon, and that earthly figure all by itself tells us that this spiritual activity we are called to is a difficult calling. And it is. Right from the outset, we see it from that broad perspective, and we see that this is a difficult calling, and when we zoom into the details, we'll know for sure that this is a difficult calling. Run! Run the race! Let's get to the details now. Every race has a, a starting line and a finishing line. So what's the starting line and what's the finishing line for this, this race? The starting line or starting point would be the point of our regeneration. And of course, for most of you here, the vast majority of you here, you don't quite remember exactly when that was, do you? Most of you were covenant children and youth, who from early consciousness and years of age have had a love for God and a hatred for sin. Boys and girls, that describes you right now, does it not? You have a love for God, don't you? And you have a hatred for sin, don't you? And you want to do the right thing for God, don't you? Well, for others who came to faith later on, like me, we remember very, very clearly the point of our regeneration. There was a stark contrast with life before and then life after. It doesn't really matter, though, that's the starting line, the point of our regeneration. The finishing line? finishing line would be when Jesus Christ comes again, comes for us again to usher us 
into the new heavens and new earth with glorified souls and bodies, or if he should tarry, for most of us, it's the point of our death. In connection with that, the inspired Apostle Paul, an aged saint close to his death, tells us in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. That's the word for the race, the race of the text this evening in our text. I finished my course, my race track, my race. I have kept the faith, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He was so looking forward to that crown, wasn't he? There was a, a victor's crown, a great and gracious reward earned by Jesus Christ for him and for all who run the race and complete this race. He was so looking forward to that, that crown of righteousness. He had his eyes constantly fixed on the prize at the finishing line throughout his entire course and race of life. The Apostle Paul did, and well he did. For we all know, don't we, the, the life of suffering he went through from the point of his regeneration and now very soon the point of his death. Called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He went through suffering after suffering. He went through shipwrecks, imprisonments, all kinds of hardships. That was the race and course for the Apostle Paul when that race and track and course for us isn't quite so different, is it? Maybe not so traumatic as that of the Apostle, but our racetrack and course has its twists and turns, its joys and sorrows, its ups and its downs, or should I say its mountain peaks. Some of those mountain peaks are, are so high, exhilarating, but then there are also those valleys, those deep dark valleys. And when we're in those valleys, those, the valley seems so, so long, the darkness seems to know no end. When will we get out? Slow, dark valleys, making the course and racetrack of life we're called to run agonizing. And literally, I mean it. It's an agonizing course and racetrack. The word in the original here is the word agon. We're called to run the agon. An agonizing course. Now to be sure, unbelievers also go through pretty much the same events in life as we do. They go through the same sorrowful events as we do, suffering, sickness, death. But you understand, for the believer, 
this course of life, this race, is the Christian life. It's the life of faith that we are called to live. It's living in Jesus Christ before church and world. That's the race of the Christian life we are called unto. And it is the difficulty of this calling that is set forth here that is plain to us in these verses. For in this spiritual running, we are called by God to a continuous, unceasing way of life. The life of faith. The life which is completely antithetical to the world all around us. And not only antithetical to all the unbelieving, ungodly world around us, but also goes against the grain of our human nature within. So this is difficult. And see that plainly too in relation to the two parts, two parts to the calling that we have to run this race. First part would be this, a, a humble, trusting submission. A humble, trusting submission in relation to all of the providential events of God that comes into our hearts and lives. We have no control over these things. They, they just arrive. One after another, they come. They befall us. Our path of life, the, the race that is set before us, is to relate to these events every time, all the time, always, with humble, trusting submission. The happy events, but also the, the sad, sorrowful, distressing events. Humble, quiet, trusting submission. Second, we are to have an attitude of heartfelt obedience in relation to everything that we are called to do and called to do in our place and position in life. As a mother, as a father, as an employee, as an elder, as a deacon, as a member in the church, as a school teacher. It's always obedience. Heartfelt obedience too, not an unwilling, half-hearted obedience. Obedience in every sphere and department of life. That all, that this, this twofold calling that we have makes it all the more difficult. But now on top of that, beloved, we are to continue to do these things over against the assaults and attacks that come at us from our threefold enemy. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. See that very difficult calling now in terms of the very reality of running this race as it is set forth in Scripture by, by these Hebrew Christians in Hebrews chapter 10. 
And then also the Old Testament heroes of faith in chapter 11. First of all, the Hebrew Christians. The Hebrew Christians at the time of the writing of this book were a bunch of very, very distraught and discouraged Christians. They were very discouraged when the apostle took his pen and started writing under inspiration to them and told them in verse 32 to call to remembrance. Remember now the former days when they endured a great fight of afflictions. They had endured. They had formerly endured. That's the past. Verse 33, endured what? They formerly endured being made a gazing stock. That's, of course, Old English, but we can make sense of the Old English very easily. Being made a, an object of mockery, ridicule. For what? For being friends and companions of suffering believers including especially the apostle himself who was in prison. They helped out the apostle. They be, befriended the apostle. Can, can you hear the, the mockings, beloved? What a bunch of losers. There they go now, these losers. He's a loser, she's a loser, another loser, that loser over there taking their turn to visit that, that big loser they're supporting in, in prison, that, that apostle, their, their chief. All these Christians are a whole bunch of losers. They endured that, but they endured more than that too. They also endured their business and property being damaged, them being threatened and their businesses being even shut down. They endured. They endured all these persecutions that came their way, wave after wave after wave. They stood strong. But now they were discouraged. They were discouraged because those waves of persecution didn't stop coming. Oh no. They continued. New wave after new wave after new wave of persecution came their way. They were discouraged, verse 36, for ye have need of patience, that is, ye have need of endurance. That's the idea of the word patience there. You have need to be steadfast. You have need for endurance. And so the apostle says to them in verses 38 and 39, don't draw back. Don't quit. Don't quit the life of faith. Don't stop. Don't stop running. Run. Won't you run 
continue running the race. Beloved congregation, we identify with them, don't we? In their discouragements. For have we not also experienced the same temptation to draw back, to, to give up, to quit? To stop, at least to some degree, stop running, going full steam, living the Christian life. Run the race. This is a difficult calling, and it's no different for the Old Testament heroes of faith in chapter 11. There were the many, many difficult experiences of the Old Testament heroes who were named, and we're well familiar with them. Our children study them probably at Christian school, and they learn of them in, in, uh, at catechism, and I have my catechumens over the years memorize Hebrews 11. They know the name heroes of faith, but there are also the many, many, many more who are not named. So that the point here is not whether they were named or named, but what they went through by faith. Verse 35. They were tortured. And it doesn't end there. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned sawn asunder, take a pause here, just think of the pain of dying by being sawn asunder, that slow, painful, painful death. They were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. We have warm homes. They wandered in deserts, mountains, dens and caves of the earth. And on top of that, let's be mindful that we are here talking about the old, not new, Old Testament heroes of faith who never saw the promise of Christ's coming realized in their lifetime. The apostle makes that point rather plainly and starkly in verses 39 and 40. They never saw the promise of Christ's coming realized, not in their lifetime. Oh, I know they received much, They received a good report. Take a step back now. They received the same grace, the one grace that saves, same grace as we do. The, they, they share the same faith as we do, the gifted with faith. They had a good report, they had grace, they had faith. They enjoyed the blessings of Jehovah. But you know, beloved, they never lived to see the day of Christ. 
all they had was a shadow. Husbands with me, you love your wife, don't you? Just imagine, from the time of your wedding to the time of your death, that all you ever had of your wife was a shadow. Just there, a shadow. You're married, of course. You love her. Of course you're married. You're married to her. You love her and she loves you. But you can't see her. You can't see her beautiful, beautiful face. You can't touch her. You can't embrace her. You can't kiss her. Oh, you see the shadow drawing closer. As the years go by, and that's all you have, the shadow. You know she's coming, but she never arrived, not during your lifetime. Well, that's the Old Testament saints. They had all these difficulties as we do, and on top of that, they had this unique difficulty added to their plate. They never saw the reality of Jesus Christ. And even though we don't and haven't yet suffered the same kind of hardships and difficulties as our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament, the race that we are called to run is not easy, is it? It's not easy today, and who knows what tomorrow will bring. And now add to this further, I keep adding to this calling, add to this further these two additional difficulties in relation to this calling that we have to run the race, to dangers that greatly either slow us down and hinder us or even threaten to cause us from finishing, to stop us from finishing the race. What two dangers? Weights and entanglements. Verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset, literally, entangle us. First, the weights. Weights which are, of course, not necessarily sin and sinful things in and of themselves, but these weights, you see, as the word so wisely and carefully chosen by the Holy Spirit here, these weights slow us down in our run. Make us less productive 
Christians waits. Children, what do you think of when you think of weights? Let me explain weights by an earthly analogy. Suppose you challenged your friend to a run, a race. And of course, like all good men, you have a job, so the race has to take place after work. So you, you say, all right, Tuesday evening, 6 o'clock, meet me at the track. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting on the track for you. And so you're on the track at two minutes prior to, and you're all set to go. You're all dressed up for, for the run. Your, 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 your tank top, your shorts, your, your socks, your best athletic shoes, and you're all warmed up, limbered up, and here comes your friend now at 5.59, lumbering down through the seats, coming down to the track. He's a construction worker. He's fresh off work, and you can tell by the way he's dressed. He's got his construction helmet on. He's got his construction boots He's got his, his belt, his harness. He's got the whole construction shebang. And he shows up at the track, at the starting line, and he says to you, hey, let's go, let's go. What are you going to say to him? I know what I'll say to him. I'll say to him, you can't be serious. You can't be serious. Take that helmet off. Take all this stuff off. Take all these dead weights off. And whereas I do, and come back here, I'll be waiting for you. I don't need a handicap. Let's compete on an even footing. Weights, they slow us down. What are some examples of weights? Here's one. Surveys have been done about how much time is spent by an average American citizen as to how much time he spends on his phone or his tablet or his device. Three hours, three and a half, four hours, right around there, is the average, wow, average time spent a day on the device. That's one wait. Men have weights too. Recreation, spending hours on end with with. Who knows what? Hunting. Teenagers have, have weights too. Sports and sports and more sports. Now, I know sports is, is good from a certain point of view. It's good to be fit and healthy and good to have some competition, but we can spend 
loads of time, inordinate amounts of time on sports and sports and sports. And there are also weights for women in the church. If you have a green thumb, now's the season for, for planting and gardening. You could spend hours and hours and hours on end and in the garden. Or if you're a hyper-clean, hyper-orderly person, you know, that, that things really have to be like this, pick and span, and exactly in their proper place, and just the right, right amount of X and Y and Z. And so we spend all kinds of time with all these activities, and what happens? We greatly reduce the amount of time we have left. For the important stuff. Service in the church. Serving one another better in the home and family. Spending more time in word and prayer. We become less productive Christians. Those are weights. Do you have weight slowing you down, beloved? Second, entanglements, which unlike weights are most definitely sinful. Notice the text. And the sin which doth so easily beset or entangle us. It's like a, a web, you know, a web, spider spinning a web entangling us. Go back to that construction worker. Well, he came back out from the lockers and he's, he's all set to go. He's got his attire, he's got his, his socks, his running shoes, and he's all set to go, except for one little detail. He left his laces untied. On your mark, get set. Go. Acceleration. What happens if you accelerate and run? Try to get to full speed and you step on that lace. You fall. That's what sin does to everyone who embraces sin as friend. And the character of sin is that it is addictive. You, you get away with one sin, you go to another one, another one, and you are caught in a web, in a web of entanglement around that sin. Lay them aside. We are called to run this race. We are called to lay aside every weight and therefore much more sin that so easily entangles us. 
hinders us from running this race. So, beloved, there we have it. Here's the race, the activity of running the race, and this is a difficult calling, isn't it? It's so very difficult. So much effort is involved, so much care and concentration on our part. The course has all its hindrances and discouragements and dangers. It's an agonizing course with all its darkness, dangers, difficulties waiting for us. When we go to bed at night, we sleep, we wake up in the morning, there it is. There's the course waiting for us to to run again and again and again. Which of us will not feel weary, weary, will not become discouraged, so discouraged from running this course, this, this race that never seems to end, just won't let up for us. But let's not forget two things. In relation to that course, understand that this course, every bit of this course was designed by our Heavenly Father. From all eternity, for our good, the Father who loves us, the Father who gave His Son for us, the Father who works all things, yes, even those painful things, together for good. What a comforting thought this is. And then, in relation to this calling to run the race, let's also remember we are not running this race alone. Oh no, we're not running this alone. There, there are other runners on this racetrack running too. Especially those in our church family. He's running, she's running, they're running. Point here is there's encouragement for us. Mutual encouragement. Nor is that the only encouragement that God gives here in the text. In fact, there are two explicit other encouragements. First of all, there's the blessed encouragement from from verse 1, from the phrase, from the great cloud of witnesses. The reference here is, in the text, is to all of the Old Testament heroes of faith, named and not named, set forth in Hebrews 11. We know that because of the very first word that begins our text, wherefore. That word connects all the preceding chapter 11 with our text right here in chapter 12. Wherefore, so that the first two verses of chapter 12 is the grand conclusion of all the wonderful deeds and acts and lives of the heroes of faith. 
And there's a figure here being painted by the Holy Spirit from the word cloud, this great cloud of witnesses. And that figure is this. Imagine you are at the, a football field, right at the base, right in the middle. All around you in this gigantic football field is, are seats. Now think of the word cloud. These seats are going round and around and around and up and up and up into the clouds, the sky. What a huge stadium and arena you're in. Innumerable number of seats. Think now of all those innumerable heroes of faith. They are seated on the seats in the stadium. That's the figure. What's the reality? To be sure, it's not that these Old Testament saints who are gone before us are spectators watching us, looking at us, and cheering us on. The text says, witnesses. These are not spectators, these are witnesses. And witnesses are not spectators. Witnesses give a witness. They testify. They give a testimony. And what do they testify of? They testify of their lives of faith, of what they went through. And boy, how we need to learn from them. They testify also of their sufferings, their hardships, their difficulties. And most of all, they testify of God's unfailing presence with them. Helping them every step of the way. They say to us, you're not alone. You're not alone because we were never alone. He was always with us, holding us up, holding our hand, sustaining us, leading us, guiding us, working all things together for good, for us. We need to learn from them, from their exemplary and courageous acts and lives of faith, and be encouraged, be encouraged by them, and be encouraged, encouraged especially by the gracious care and blessings they received from God, that first. But second and even more, we receive great and blessed encouragement from Jesus himself, who also ran a race, but quite unlike us, ran it with perfect endurance, ran it with zero weights and zero entanglements, and most importantly, ran his race for our sake. And understand that his was a far, far different 
an infinitely more difficult race than ours. A race which had the starting line at his incarnation and which had its finishing line at the cross of Calvary. Whence the agonies of hell came full blast at him there. What an agonizing, infinitely agonizing race our Savior went through. On account of our sins, yours and mine, to atone for us and also so that we never have to run that kind of race. We wouldn't survive. Terrible, frightening racetrack and course that he went through and ran for our sake so that we don't ever even have to come near to it. For he bore our sins. He took all our punishment for us. Let's take encouragement, beloved, from that. And also let's take encouragement from the way our Saviour ran. He ran with determination. He ran unwaveringly. He set his face as flint towards Calvary from day one, undeterred, undiscouraged. He even, we are told in the text, despised the shame. Shame is a powerful thing, you know, being mocked at. He despised that shame and everything that came at him, at him, for your sake and for mine. He did all these things. He despised the shame. He was determined. He was focused because he had his eyes set on his prize, waiting for him at the finishing line. That prize was his joy. And what was that prize and joy waiting for him at the finishing line that kept him focused on his run? Text tells us the blessed reward of exaltation he earned for his work on the cross. Exaltation of being set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2. That's the joy. That's the joy that was continually set before him. The joy of that reward kept him going. The joy of that reward kept him focused. Because of that joy, he kept his eyes firmly fixed on the road ahead, straight to heaven through this cause, this painful cross, this agonizing cause that took him through the cross. And so, beloved, Jesus is not only a blessed, blessed encouragement for our running of our race, He is also the chief and perfect example for us on how we are to run our race. As runners, beloved, let's keep our eyes fixed and focused, not on any earthly circumstance, distraction, discouragement, and fear, 
Let us, like him, keep our eyes of faith fixed on the prize. Our prize that he earned to give to us. That crown. That crown, the victor's crown awaiting us at, our, at the finishing line. Nor is that all. He's our blessed encouragement. He's our chief example. He is also our only source of strength. And that's taught us plainly from the Word of God. Verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, says verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to Him. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to others for your strength. You will be weary and you will starve. Jesus is our only and great, inexhaustible source of strength. With Him as our source of strength, we need no other, for He is the author of our faith. He created it. He joined us to Himself by that bond, the bond of faith. And yes, He is the finisher or perfecter of our faith, meaning he's the one who realizes the goal of our faith and he does so by supplying us the spiritual strength we need to run the race, to do so with patience, endurance, steadfastness. Look to him and no other for your strength. And let us run the race with patience. Look to Him for strength and not yourself, for even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Bless this word, O Lord. Use it. Use it to equip us to continue running the race that we have been called to unto the glory of thy name and for the good of the church. Hear us. Bless us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.